Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if this is your first time listening to me, hello, this is Gospel Saving Church. My name is Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is uh, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you did not come today to be entertained, because the Word of God, although to me it's actually fun to read, and it actually is exciting to me, many things about it. There are many things in the Word of God that aren't really fun to read, but they're things that I love reading because you know I need to read them. So anyway, I hope you didn't come to this church, or I hope you don't go to any church, your home church or wherever you may go, to be entertained, because that's not why we're supposed to come to church. We're supposed to come to church to seek God, to know Him more, to fellowship with one another, to help each other keep strong in the Lord, or if you're not with the Lord, to come to know the Lord. Anyway, we always start with a word of prayer. If you guys would join me, please, we have to ask God to help us understand His Word as our physical man, the Bible says, does not understand God's Word. Our physical man is kind of void. Our physical man is 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 dead to the things of God. Only our spiritual men and women and children can understand the things of the Lord. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand His things today. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much, Lord God, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a, a light unto our path. Lord God, thank you so much that you know those that are listening to this message. You know those on the whole world, Lord God, that are truly seeking you, that truly want to know the things about you. And Lord, to those people, to those of us that are truly seeking you or seeking to know you more or seeking to know you deeper, Lord, your, your eyes go to and fro upon all the earth and you're seeking whom is seeking you. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, those that are listening to me and those that are around the world seeking you, Lord God, I pray that you would come full force, Lord God, and bless our hearts and bless our minds and help us understand the things of your word and the things of you today in a deeper, deeper, deeper way, in a biblical deeper way, Lord God. Please keep us from false doctrine as the whole world right now is, we are in the greatest time of the apostasy up until this point now since you left Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord God, keep us from apostasy, keep us from false doctrine, and keep us in the truth of your word and your word only. Solo scriptore. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21 today. We're going to finish out the chapter, verses 30 through 40. That'll take us through the end of chapter 21. Chapter 22, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but chapter 22 is actually a continuation. Chapter 21 kind of ends weird. Chapter 22 is a, or chapter 22, the beginning, and for quite a while, is a, actually a continuation from the scripture, but we won't get to that today. Well, but there's lots to learn in verses 30 through 40 of Acts chapter 21. The title of our sermon today is Jesus Christ is Enough. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple title. Jesus Christ is Enough is enough. If you want to read with me, you can. Acts chapter 21, verses 30 through 40. If you want to listen along, whatever whatever tickles your fancy, Luke writes, verse 30, And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, He commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he had reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him. I'm sure they were chanting that. Verse 37. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Verse 39, but, but Paul said, I'm not a Jew, or I am a Jew from Tarshish uh, in, in Sicily, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Last verse of today. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. 
And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying. Now, I know that, that's a kind of a weird way to end a chapter. I wish the, uh, the writers, or not the writers, I wish the, those that uh, took the Bible and put it into chapter and verse would have ended that a little different. But I see why they did. The chapters, you know, you don't want, you don't want a chapter with, you know, ten verses or whatever. So anyway, that's a little weird ending. Moving on, on to the scripture, just know that we're going to get to the, the rest of what he said, or what he started to say, next week. i got a lot to say this week. So last week we read of a failed attempt by the apostles to, remember, cover up the fact that, uh, to the Jews that were zealous for the law of Moses, that in Christ, well, Galatians 3.28, Paul puts it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, of course, speaking to believers of any ethnicity, of any. doesn't matter who you were, how you were born. Paul says if you're in Christ, we're all one. doesn't matter if you're black or white or Puerto Rican, Mexican, Asian, Jew, Gentile, whatever. Any kind of Gentile. Or in Christ, we're all one. There had to be, uh, or there had been many Thousands of Jews, as Peter told Paul, I should say as James told Paul, of Jews that had turned to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah in Jerusalem, yet they were also zealous for the law of Moses. That really means that they didn't just think that the law of Moses was a good, moral, and godly way to live. They attached the keeping of the law to their turning to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah, both needed for salvation. And that, we talked about that last week, being a heretical doctrine of works plus Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ plus works equaling salvation. And we know that the Bible teaches otherwise. Salvation comes by, like Paul writes, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, grace through faith, not of ourselves and not of works. It's a gift of God. The salvation that God gives is a gift of God. Well, the Jews that were zealous for the law of Moses ended up hearing and believing, remember, that only Paul taught the Jews and Gentiles that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. Therefore, not needing any attachment of the law of Moses in order for somebody to be saved. And of course, this made them angry because the law of Moses to them, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but just a little bit of a prelude, the law of Moses to them was really a little g-god. They had kind of washed away the God of the Old Testament. They had kind of, you know, oh, he's God. Yeah, yeah, he's God. But here's what we really worship, and they worshiped the law of Moses as their little G-God. So, so angry that, remember, with Paul they were, once they see him in Jerusalem and in the temple of God, remember Paul was trying to play the good Jew, the one that kept all the festivals, the one that, you know, had taken a vow, the one that was a true follower of the law of Moses, which really he was truthfully playing the hypocrite because he really he wasn't really in he he did keep some jewish festivals and some things but remember i remember when he was telling the 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 people his followers about where he wanted to go he said hey i want to i want to be in jerusalem this is like kind of at the start of his journey back in like x 19 or 19 or 20 i want to be in jerusalem to keep the feast god willing okay so that means that he really wasn't even staunch like I must keep them or, or else I'm going to die kind of thing. It was, it was like, hey, I, I, I want to be there if God wants me to be there, which just goes to show us that Paul had moved, was moving away from the staunch Jew that kept the law of Moses as like a little G God to a, a, to a staunch Christian follower of Christ that the law of Moses and the feasts of God and all of those good things were all just good things as followers of Jesus Christ and, you know, that we should, hey, those are good moral ways to live, good godly ways to live. And of course, they saw him and last verse of last week and first verse of this week, that's where we come into play of verse 30. And all the city was disturbed after they saw him and he was trying to be this hypocrite and they kind of they kind of were angry with him because they just were believing what they were believing. And all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. By the words seizing and dragging off, we know that they weren't 
happy with him, right? And, and that when they saw him, they had hatred and resentment in their hearts for him, right? Now, the last section we studied said that the Jews that initially saw him in the temple were Jews from Asia, and that's important. They were not to be considered part of the myriads of Jews that James and the elders told Paul of that it turned to Christ, but that they were also zealous for the law of Moses. That said, even though the Jews from Asia started the attack against Paul, according to verse 30, they were not the only ones that attacked him because there weren't a multitude, as this section of scripture tells us, there weren't a multitude of the Jews of Asia. There wouldn't have been that many Jews of Asia there. There would have been Jews from Asia and... Mostly, there would have been Jews there from Jerusalem. And verse 30 just told us all the city was disturbed. All the city. And that would be, and he says, and the people. That would be the Jews of Jerusalem because that's who would be in the temple, right? Those who were worshiping the God of the Old Testament or those that were actually Christians. Christians didn't have their own buildings at this point yet. The Christians just basically worshiped God in the temple. They used the temple as their place of worship just like we... As we have a church today, that's what they were doing then. They really didn't have a, a set structure of a church yet where it was like a building that they had just for Christians to go, whether Jews or Gentiles. Okay, And that would be for the Jews from Asia along with the Jews from Jerusalem that came together to attack Paul in the temple when you see the whole city was in an uproar and all the people came, right? And my God's honest guess here, when I was really meditating on this and going through setting up every day and the scripture and so on and so forth, my God's honest guess here is that many of those that attacked Paul in the temple were those of the thousands of the myriads of Jews that supposedly turned to Jesus Christ as Messiah, but also were zealous for the law of Moses. I think, honestly, that many of the Jews that attacked Paul in the temple thought themselves Christians. Hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I've, I've, I've turned to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. Hey, hallelujah. But this guy, he speaks against the law of Moses and we must keep it in order to be saved. And so my point here is this. I'm really pretty positive that those Jews that James and the elders told Paul of that turned to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah, but were also zealous for the law of Moses, thought they were saved and righteous in God's eyes by the law of plus Jesus Christ. I'm almost positive that they, that they thought that of themselves. Yet in the reality of the truths of God's word, as we've been talking about, they were really deceiving themselves and weren't saved. And I believe that their deeds in this section clearly show us that fact. Jesus Christ said of people, uh, of all people, uh, of who they loved, who they worshiped, who they were all about, he said, you'll know them by their fruit. Those fruits, according to the Bible, are the words and actions and deeds that come out of our mouths and that we live our lives in action with. Those are the fruits that we'll know who somebody loves and who somebody lives for. That's how we'll know who they're of. Hey, if there's somebody that loves God and loves Jesus Christ, well, their words are their mouths and the actions of their body. They're going to show you, hey, I love Jesus Christ. They're going to be like... Wow, this guy, is all he does is talk about Jesus. Oh, he's all about godly things. Oh, man, that guy, you know he's a Christian. Oh, this guy here, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Yet he goes out and drinks and smokes and does drugs and goes to clubs and swears up and down. You'd be like, well, yeah, he, he says he knows Jesus, but you know, that guy, he, he, he lives for himself. He lives for the, for the world. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah whatever. He's, he's one of them supposed Christians. Anyway, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And, and you could tell by how they treated Paul, by their life fruit here in this section, that who, who they loved and served. And they didn't love and serve Jesus Christ. They loved and served themselves and their little G God, the law of Moses. To make matters worse, not only were none of these Jews in the temple that were attacking Paul, not only were none of them followers of Jesus Christ, but I actually don't believe that any of them were followers of the God of the Old Testament either. And I, I've already said that, but then you might be saying, why? How could I say that? Well, they were, they were so zealous that they wanted to, they were attacking Paul because they were angry with him because, you know, he didn't teach the law of Moses and yada, 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 yada. But like I said, to make matters worse, I don't believe they were either because in the Old Testament, God never said 
If anybody teaches against my law or against circumcision, which was a huge thing of the Jews back in those days, it was, it was you got to get circumcised. If you're a Jew, you got to get circumcised or else you're not a Jew. And God never told anybody in the Old Testament that if anybody taught against his laws or against circumcision, that they were to be killed. He never said that to anybody. The closest punishment that God gave anyone or that God gave in his word to somebody that, let's say, didn't follow his law, a Jew that didn't follow his law, a Jew that didn't get circumcised, was in Genesis 17, 9 through 14. God's talking to Abraham. And through this section of scripture, he gives Abraham this covenant. And he says, hey, throughout all your generations, you're supposed to keep this covenant of mine. And this covenant is circumcision. Every male who's, you know, eight, eight days old or eight days and older should be circumcised. And this is something that I want you to keep, whether it's a foreigner in your house that's, that's yours, that belongs to you as a slave, let's say, or a servant, or one that you bought for money, or, or your own children, whatever. All the people in your own house, every male should be circumcised at eight days or older. And he goes on to say this, this is the worst punishment for the Jew who decided not to, let's say, do that. Genesis 17, 14. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That is not put that person to death by beating them and stoning them. Now, that could have been as bad as death, but, because, but the idea of cutting somebody off from the people group was that, hey, you know what? You're no longer a Jew. You Basically, you're a Gentile to us. And that means you can't dwell among us. You can't be a part of our lives. You can't be a part of our society. Basically, you're an outcast. That could have been as bad as death to some Jews, but if that was that bad, then that God's desire is there is that they turn to keep his covenant, which was the circumcision of their, obviously, their male part. And so, of course, that, but it was not, if you don't get circumcised, if you are not uh, keeping my law or teaching against my law, kill them. That, was, that wasn't one of the death penalties that God gave in his word according to the Old Testament. So these Jews here, whether Christ followers or anti-Christ, against Christ followers, really weren't even following God's word in killing Paul or trying to kill Paul because if they were, they simply would have put Paul out of the temple and basically disavowed him. Or as I just said, you know, cut him off or treat him as a Gentile. So if these Jews were really following Jesus Christ uh, and just using the law of Moses to guide their lives in a godly way as their good moral standard, that's what true salvation is, by the way, then where are the fruits that the Holy Spirit speaks of in the Bible that say, that speak about that? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is a, a, once you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, God gives you this Holy, Holy Spirit and you become born again and Basically, not even of your own self, because trust me, they're not things that your own self can produce. But, but the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, as Paul writes, is love. And that's unconditional agape love for whoever. doesn't matter. It's, it's love for the lost, love for your brothers and sisters, love for just unconditional love for people. Right? Your flesh can never produce that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here, by these Jews, the way they're treating Paul, attacking him, grabbing him, dragging him out of the temple, I don't see any of those fruits. I don't see any fruits there of any of the fruits that they're truly born again, do you? I, I don't. Now, given the Jews of the first uh, of verse 30, uh, excuse me, now given the Jews of verse 30, the benefit of the doubt, uh, they that were in this angry mob that attacked Paul and it turned to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah, but were also zealous for the law of Moses, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they, maybe they dragged Paul out of the temple and they seized him and dragged him out of the temple so that they could tell him, listen, Paul, you need to keep the laws of Moses and teach that or else we're going to have to tell you that you're not a Jew anymore like that Genesis section talked about where God said, hey, if they don't, cut them off. Well, do they do that? Look at the first part of verse 31. I mean, I don't know. I've already said it. We've already read it. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, 
Later on, we know that they were actually beating him because that's when the Roman guards show up and the commander shows up and they were actually beating him. So now as they were seeking to kill him really means as they were beating him to kill him. Now, just by the simple fact that they were trying to kill Paul pretty much tells me that they weren't following Jesus Christ for sure. Jesus Christ never told any of his followers to kill anyone ever. But remember, by their fruits you shall know them. And what did Jesus Christ say of the devil? That he's a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And so we know what spirit was in these people, and it was not the spirit of God. And as for the fruit of these Jews who supposedly turned to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah but were zealous for the law of Moses, their fruit stank like putrid refuse. Okay? Again, I highly doubt any of these Jews, whether pretending to be following Christ, but zealous for the law of Moses or Antichrist, were saved and born again. The doctrine of works plus Jesus Christ, or good works that will get you into heaven, any work, whether it be the law of Moses, or I'm a good person, or whatever, these doctrines, these teachings, don't offer salvation for your soul. They're a deception of the devil. Why? Because in those teachings, you are trying to earn your salvation before a holy and perfect God. It'd be like you coming up to somebody's car and slashing all four tires and then going, oh, um, I'm sorry I did that. Here, let me give you $10 to pay for those tires. And it being like a you know, brand new 2019 Hummer or something where each tire is worth $250. And you slash them all, and yet you want to offer the guy an apology and $10 to try to fix your error. Uh, the guy is going to call the police because that's not going to be enough. Your good works, your good deeds, your keeping of the law of Moses plus Jesus or without Jesus, whatever, however you want to say it, that doctrine, God is not going to accept it when you stand before God, when you stand before Him, when you get to heaven. Because we're all going to stand before heaven. We're all going to kind of see God. God, where is God? In heaven. But the Bible says that many will be turned away. You know, we'll all be judged. But only those that are judged with the righteous judgment of God that are in Christ the way Christ said to be in him, only that those people that are in Christ the way Christ told us to be in him will actually enter the kingdom of heaven. Many, many, many will be turned away. And the doctrine of works to get to heaven or works plus Jesus Christ or the law of Moses plus Jesus Christ, that won't get you to heaven because you're standing before God on your own merit and you are not good enough to pay the price of your sin. That's just simply as easy as I could say it. Jesus Christ's death was and is the only one that God will accept for the payment of your sins, your or mine. Anyway, moving on, I'll address this more, you know, getting to the end of the message, we'll talk about it more. So the Jews have Paul, right? They've seized and drug him out of the temple, and they're seeking to kill him by, again, they're beating him. But is God done with Paul? Did he allow the Jews to kill Paul? Second part of verse 31. Uh, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So, of course, we know that at the time, at this time, the Romans were basically kind of ruling Jerusalem. They, they, now, they ruled Jerusalem, but they did it kind of from a standoffishness. They, they weren't involved in every single detail of the Jews. They just basically, they were the ones that kept order. They were the ones that kept peace. The Jews could no longer kill one another if they had, you know, they couldn't follow the law of Moses as far as, you know, somebody blasphemed God's name. They couldn't take stones and stole them. The Romans basically took that away from them, but they pretty much let the, the Jews live out their lives as they wanted to. But be that as it may, just like today, if there was, let's say, a riot in downtown, wherever you live, okay, wherever, all over the country, wherever you live, if there was a riot where you are, then, the, then, then somebody's going to call the police, and the police are going to come down and go, what the heck's going on? Why is there a riot? We need to get order because we're a civilized civilization. We're a civilized society. 
Same thing with Paul here. There was a riot. Somebody called the police. Well, that would be the commander of the Roman garrison, the Roman army, or whatever that little section that was over there in Jerusalem kind of watching out. And he hears about it. He hears that there's this uproar. Well, his job there from, from Caesar, or whoever the leader was in charge, I believe it was Caesar at the time, said, hey, keep peace in Jerusalem. So this guy comes, and he says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? And thankfully for Paul, God had this commander of a certain garrison, Rome troops, that came in just the nick of time to get Paul. Look how he helps him. Look at verses 32 and 33. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran it down to them. This wasn't a, oh, oh, there's a disturbance. Hey, um... Hey guys, get the one, you know, get the people that are in reserve, and you know, let's kind of mosey on down there and see what's going on. And he ran down to them. I see that. See God totally there. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Remember, I told you they were seeking to kill him. They were they were beating him, seeking to kill him. Okay. So they see the commander of the army, and they get intimidated. And verse thirty three. Then the commander came near and took him. So the commander takes him, he grabs him out of their hands, and the commander bound him with two chains. Really, he had his guys do that. That was his guys' job, right? And he asked who he was and what he had done. So he delivers Paul from the Jews who are beating him to kill him. Uh, then first, by showing up, that was very intimidating, right? Then second, grabbing them out of their, out of their hands. And lastly, third, arresting him. Now that sounds bad, but you know what? He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what Paul had done, so he had to basically arrest him and kind of figure things out, sort it out. But hey, arrest the guy, get him away from this angry mob, and let's figure out what's going on, and all for good reason. Even the arrest was all for good things. Now, the Bible says that all things work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So even though you say, oh, he arrested Paul, and Paul was innocent, well, he didn't know that. He didn't know that. Okay, and the arrest, what did it do? It got him out of these murderers' hands. And what? He was alive to preach another day for Jesus Christ. If this commander hadn't shown up with his troops when he did, Paul would have been pushing up daisies this day. So all of that nonsense, all of this nonsense against Paul, in essence, remember, Paul taught Jews and Gentiles, the title of the sermon, that Jesus Christ was enough. And that's all he taught. And because he taught that, that's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they wanted to attack him. Isn't that sad? How is it that these Jews thought that the information deserving the death penalty uh, was deserving the death penalty? Why? Because, again, in their deceived eyes, Paul messed with their little G God. The law of Moses was and still is to many Jews and others alike a little G God. It's what they worship. It's I'm going to keep this law so I can earn my keep and I can earn my stay in heaven. So really the focus goes off of God and it goes on to the little G God of the law of Moses. They really looked past the God of the Bible who gave the laws to Abraham and Moses and their main focus was on the keeping of the laws and rules and regulations and traditions of the law of Moses. This is a dangerous Thing to do for your spirit. In a very long rebuke to the Jews who were rejecting Jesus Christ upon the very same idea I'm speaking of now, he told them this in John 5, 39 and 40. He says this, you search the scriptures. And here's the key line. If I got real Christians out there, you probably know what I'm going to say. For in them, you think you have eternal life. Notice Jesus Christ, who was God incarnate in the flesh. Notice where he said that they thought they had their eternal life. He didn't say, you think you have your eternal life by reading them in God. No, no, no. You search the scriptures, speaking to the same Jews that are right here with Paul, the same Jews that had made a, the little G God out of the law of Moses. You search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. You worship the scriptures. You don't worship the God who wrote the scriptures through man. You may be thinking, well, oh, Pastor Ed, isn't it? Is it wrong to have reverence for the Holy Scriptures? No, we're supposed to. Reverence for the Holy Scriptures is an awesome thing to have. But 
if you make the Word of God even an idol to you. Like, oh, by the Bible, and I'm going to read the Bible so much that God's going to let me in heaven. What you just did, you just attached a work to your salvation. Now I can read the Bible so many times and so often and so much, and I can learn it, and I can memorize verses, and I can, and I can uh, eat it, and then I'll get to heaven. That's a works doctrine. The Bible then becomes your little G-God, and the God of the Bible who wrote the Bible, if your focus isn't to read them to get to know Him, then you've lost your way. And it's a real easy thing to do. In fact, I've had this discussion with, with, with a Christian or two in my almost 19 years of, of serving the Lord. Uh, okay, many people get really offended with this. Well, what do you mean? Well, no, you cannot hold the Bible as your God. The Bible is the book to get you to God. It's not the book that is your God. And to these Jews that were zealous for the law of Moses and those that were against Christ and those that had turned to Christ but were zealous for the law of Moses, the law of Moses, the word of God, had become their God. Just as Jesus Christ said, John 5, 39 and 40. Okay? These Jews had not only missed the fact that Jesus Christ was enough in this scripture, but they also had totally missed the whole point of God's law. God never gave his law, by the way, to the Jews so that they could attain a righteousness in his eyes. He never even gave his word so that they could attain a righteousness in his eyes. The purpose of the law, both then and now, and until Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes back and the world ends, is Galatians 3, 19 through 25. The law, Paul says in that long thing, well, I'll just read it. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for each one only, but for God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So there, the law doesn't give you eternal life. Because if it would have, then God would have given it, right? 22. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, not who follow the law, but who believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed, the faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. The law was never meant to justify us before God. Oh, I can keep the law. Oh, I can learn the word of God. Oh, I can read and devour God's word. And that'll make me righteous before God. That was never the point of the law. Last verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We're no longer underneath the law to keep it as we're trying to be righteous or to keep it to, to please God. Now the law is just to show us, hey, we can't keep it. There's over 623 laws. Could you keep 623 laws to be righteous before God? I, 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 geez, really? I'm the honor of your mother and your father all the days of your life? I mean, what teenager hasn't broken that one? I don't know any teenager that hasn't broken that one. We're all guilty of at least breaking that one. And the Bible says that even if you break one, one, you're guilty of them all. All right? So you can't be righteous by the keeping of the law. And the law, in essence, was supposed to show us you can't be righteous. You need a Savior. You need Jesus Christ because you can't keep the law for salvation. Again, not, God never gave his law to the Jews or anyone so that they could attain righteousness in his eyes. If it was, then God would have never said what he did to Abraham, who's considered the father of the faith. Right? That's what he's considered. And that'd be the faith of, the, of God in the Old Testament. Abraham was in the Old Testament, not with Jesus Christ. Uh, God had given Abraham a promise. And Abraham in Genesis 15, 6 says this, He believed in the Lord, and he... That is, God Almighty accounted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. It did not say Abraham was circumcised and Abraham kept all the things that God told him to do. And because Abraham kept all the things that God told him to do, then oh, God accounted it to him for righteousness. Wow! No, it says that he believed in the Lord, which means he put his faith in God. And then that, God saw, oh, he's going to trust in me. 
Ah, that one, that's righteousness for that one. Okay, And Paul wouldn't have confirmed it in Romans 4, 1 through 4. What then we, shall we say of Abraham? He says, our father, who found according to the flesh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So Abraham was not justified by his works. For, and then verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If you're trying to work for your salvation in any way today, God of the Bible says you're in danger because the law, good works, good deeds were never meant to bring righteousness to anyone. And it was never meant to become your little G-God or my little G-God or anyone's little G-God that we worshiped, right? Back to our scripture. So, so the commander of the centurions and soldiers Come and make, a, uh, and make a presence, right? They grab Paul out of the hands of the Jews, rescue him, arrest him, which is a good thing. But as they're doing this, the commander asks these crazy Jews a simple question. That question, paraphrased, look at the last part of verse 33. What'd he do? What's going on? What'd this guy do? What, what did he do to make you Jews want to kill him? I mean, you know you got to really do something bad to make a whole city uh, full of Jews, a whole temple full of Jews want to come at you and kill you. And the Roman, uh, the, the commander here goes, I know this. Nobody just pops into the temple and they go, hey, there's that guy. I don't like the way he looked at me. Yeah, come on, everybody, get him and let's kill him. you got to really do something bad for somebody to come against you to try to kill you like these guys were here. So he asks him, simple, what'd he do? Remember, he's still trying to discern. He's the commander. He's supposed to keep the peace. And if Paul really had done something wrong, which the commander and his guards really think that he was some Egyptian, we're going to learn our, our couple last verses, they really do think that he was some Egyptian that was against the Jews that were leading a, you know, something into the wilderness. And so they had kind of come to a conclusion because as we're going to read here in a moment, the, the Jews there offer no help. But he's trying to figure out what this guy did, what Paul did, and he's trying to find out from this crazy, frenzied Jerusalem mob. He asked them a pretty easy but good question. Look at their answer. First part of verse 34. Some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Demetrius, remember, and the, and the silversmiths and the salesmen there in Ephesus, remember, Paul was coming in, preaching Jesus Christ. People were turning to Jesus Christ, which was enough to be saved, enough to escape the fires of hell and condemnation and the, uh, a payment for their sin, right? Paul was preaching Christ is enough. And then remember Acts 19.32, they all come in, they, they, the, the whole city comes in an uproar, all these Ephesian Gentiles, and they're like, no, he's coming against Diana. And a whole group of crazy, frenzied Ephesian mob, that was the title of that sermon, came against Paul and they wanted to attack him and kill him, but instead he wasn't in there. God's grace for Paul. God wasn't done with Paul either then. Paul was out of the picture at the time. Instead, they arrest or grab Paul's travel companions. And, and so when kind of things go on, here's what we read, Acts 19.32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. It's same exact mentality as we see with the Jews in Jerusalem with Paul. These two insane groups, one in Ephesus were Gentiles and one in Jerusalem were Jews, cried the same nonsense things because they're out of their minds angry with Paul and all because, remember, Paul had messed with their little G-gods teaching that Jesus Christ was enough. It's crazy, but it still happens today. It still happens today. Maybe not to the extent, at least in the situations that I've been in, but it happens today. People really get mad when you mess with their little G-Gods. When you preach and teach Jesus Christ is enough, woo, Catholics get this way about their little G-God Mary and the saints. When you teach them that the Bible says, hey, the Bible says Jesus Christ is enough and Jesus Christ has paid for sins. You don't need, the Bible says you're not supposed to go to anybody else. They really get really angry. I mean, adamantly angry as I used to have an aunt that she 
often would assail me because I would tell her, Jesus Christ is enough and we can't get to heaven if we're just good people. And that really got her angry. Uh, evolutionists get this way about their little G God of evolution when you prove wrong their evolution because, you know, you can't see it and all of creation testifies to God. And there's awesome things that, that I've taught on before where, you know, completely destroy evolution. They really get angry. Muslims get this way about Muhammad, which is <laughs> Muhammad is their little G God that kind of led to the bigger G God that they supposedly worship which is the devil, uh, which he's a little g-god too, by the way. Hindus get this way about when you, make, when, you, when you poke at there and you show them they're wrong about their good works won't get them to heaven. They really get angry. Uh, many do the same thing today just as the Jews did and still do with the law of Moses, their little g-god. When you start teaching that Jesus Christ is enough, people go crazy. Anyway, so when this commander realizes that this crazy mob and they're out of their minds and they really don't know what's going on, he, look at the rest of the, verse 34, uh, after the crazy answers of nothingness. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded them to be taken into the barracks. Paul was ripped out of their hands, arrested. Now the commander orders him to be taken away from them completely even out of their sight and into a Roman building there in Jerusalem, which was also called the Castle of Antonia. It, it was definitely not God's time for Paul to come to be with him. God, God was like, no, 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 no. Remember what we talked about before. Paul's going to be in the midst of this mess. And God says, just as you've, just as you've witnessed for me here in Jerusalem, so, so you will in front of the Gentiles in Rome. So God's not done with Paul. We all have a time to go to meet the Lord we all, every one of us, we all have a time to come and stand before God in judgment. All of us. That's what the Bible says. We don't know when that time is going to be, but we all have a time. We're going to die and we're going to see God face to face. And as for Paul in this section, it wasn't God's time for him just yet for again, his mission for Jesus Christ wasn't yet completed. I'll say though, then, as a modern term, I really like this modern term, Paul here really had some amazing plot armor, didn't he here? I mean, God had a plot, God had a plan for him, he had a script. Hey, Paul, this is what you're going to do. And so, just like in the movies, the main guy who's going to be the victor in the very end, that main guy, he can't touch him, you can't kill him, you can't, you know, if you arrest him, you know he's going to get free. Paul, same thing. He had some amazing plot armor on here for God. Look at the hard time the soldiers have getting him into this building. Read verses 35 and 36. When he, Paul, that'd be when he, Paul, reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of people followed after crying out, away with him. And that away with him, according to their prior actions, wasn't we want him out of our sight. It was away with him. We want him dead. So when the commander initially had his centurions and his soldiers rescue Paul and they arrested him, remember all they did was get to him, arrest him, put him in chains, and then basically stand between him and the Jews that were trying to attack him. And their presence was enough. And yet here we see that it's not enough because verse 35 tells us that once the soldiers make it to the stairs of their military building with Paul just walking with him and being in between him and the group and the, and the hundreds of Jews that are there holding on to him, they actually had to pick him up and carry him. I'm getting the picture here of these Jews trying to like almost foaming at the mouth like rabid dogs and, and reaching to like tear Paul's arms off. And, and I'm picturing here the Roman soldiers and centurions basically trying to make a wall around Paul and, and have to like, basically I could see three or four or five of them holding him in the air. Because in case you didn't know, but, but Jews are typically short in stature. <laughs> so are Romans. So, I mean, they would have had a tough time. There would have been several Roman soldiers here. I see them trying to kind of hold Paul in the air, trying to walk up the stairs, and just trying to keep him out of their reach so that they couldn't rip him and tear him to pieces here. These Jews were literally trying to kill Paul every step of the way, even while he was in the Romans' hands. Wow, they were just crazy angry with him. And all because he taught the people that Jesus Christ was enough, and that messed with their little G-gods. 
Jesus Christ was and still is enough, and you can't add any other work to his saving work on the cross, period, the end. Can't even add the law of Moses and, and the keeping of the law of Moses to your salvation and to Christ's sacrifice. Now, even though these misguided Jews want to get to Paul so that they can kill him, look at how he responds. And for every true, sold-out Christ follower that's listening to me, we're changing gears for just these last few verses here. I want you to really look at how Paul reacts here. And this is how we, as Christ's followers, really need to die to ourselves to have this kind of attitude. Read over verses 37 through 39. I'm just going to read them over quickly, making some points. Verse 37. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? (laughs) That's kind of weird, right? Paul's heading into safety. Yet he stops him and he goes, hey, can I, can I have a word with you, please? Can, you know, can we have a moment together? I, I just need to tell you something. And so the Roman soldier, Centurion, says, he replies, can you speak Greek? He's like, You're gonna, you want to talk to me? Can, can you speak Greek? Because Paul had already talked to him in Greek. That's how he knew, right? Because so he was speaking to me. So he was kind of surprised. Can you speak Greek? Well, that's like a, that's like a wow, you can, right? Verse 38, here's the conclusion that the commander and the the soldiers and the garrison had made about Paul. He says, verse 38, Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? Uh, This is, again, they couldn't ascertain why these Jews could have been so angry with Paul that they wanted to kill him. So they kind of like... Well, he must have been. A, he, he must be a real bad dude. He he must be this Egyptian who who ha, brought this rebellion on, and, and basically leading the four thousand assassins in the wilderness. Well, you know, Egyptians they were probably this this whoever did this was probably coming against Jerusalem, right, to attack the Jews because assassins. What do they want? They want to kill people. So these uh, soldiers and guards had figured out. Well, this guy must be that guy because man, these Jews are so angry. They mu- they must want to kill him because he was trying to kill them i mean that's they were wrong of course but they didn't know why so they kind of just ascertained their own idea of what was wrong with paul paul though corrects him verse 39 but paul said i'm a jew from from tarsus i'm not a no egyptian i'm not a gentile i'm a jew from tarsus in, in sicilia a citizen of no mean city. I, I'm not. I'm not a citizen of no Egyptian city, no evil, mean, terrible Egyptian city. And I implore you. I beg you. He says, "I beg you, please." What does he beg him? <laughs> Permit me to speak to the people. Wow. What? Let me speak to the people. Do they let him? Verse forty. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. When there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying. So, we won't get again to Paul's message to these Jews today, because it's way too long for today's message. But I want to speak to my true followers of Christ out there that are listening to me a little bit before I'm done and before I go to close. All right, Paul begs the centurions and the soldiers to speak to the same people that were just literally trying to beat him to death. And surprisingly, they quiet down and they listen to him speak as he talks to them in Hebrew, right? That's, that's like a miracle from God. But why would Paul beg? He begs them. I implore you. He begs them. He begs the soldiers and centurions to speak to these murderous Jews who worship the little G-God of the law of Moses. And basically, if you worship a little G-God, you're not following and you're not worshiping the big G-God, of God Almighty, Jehovah, and Jesus Christ. You're not worshiping them. So the Bible says, if you're not, Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. So these guys were against the, the, the big G God of, of Jehovah and Jesus Christ, and they were for the little G God of the law of Moses, right? And in spite of them, in spite of how they hated Jesus Christ, despite of how they were against Jesus Christ. They don't follow Jesus Christ's ways. Do you know anybody like that? I know lots of people like that. But in spite of them, and they were, again, this was around the temple. They had started in the temple. Now they were outside the temple. This was basically, think of it, your church building right on the front lawn. 
right? Right outside the doors of your church building, this is where this happened, right? He begs them, the ones that were just trying to kill him, in spite of them and their hatred for him, and who he spoke to them of. He loved them so tremendously much that he wanted them to be saved despite their hatred for him, despite their hatred for Jesus Christ. Wow. With these Jews, they were literally trying to kill him because of his message of Jesus Christ is enough. He exhibited and lived out the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew 5, 46 and 47, a culmination of what Paul does here with these murderous Jews just outside the church doors, just outside the temple gates. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet the brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. And he goes on in his whole message there is love those who are your enemies. Hey, if this one does this to you, hey, turn the other cheek. Hey, if this one does this to you, hey, you know, give them your cloak too. Love those who don't love you. The whole idea of the of the, the, the Jew and the Samaritan, right? One of them falls ill and the other one comes along and, you know, the, 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 the Jews come along and they see their fallen Jewish brethren on the side and they don't help them. Yet a Gentile comes along, right? A Gentile comes along and, he, man, I'm going to help this Jew. They were bitter enemies. The Samaritans and the Jews were bitter enemies. And Jesus said, now, who is your brother in this story? And, of course, they have to answer, well, the brother was the one who actually showed love to the one that was his bitter enemy. That's what Paul does to these people here. He looks past their evil and their hatred and their resentment toward him, and he loves them with the love that Jesus Christ loved every one of us, follower of Christ. He loved you with even when you were an enemy of God, even when you were an enemy of the cross. Paul loves these murderous Jews just like Jesus Christ from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Now, now Christians... He wanted to share Jesus Christ and his salvation with him. And he didn't care about his own safety, his own comfort, his own feelings. To me, Paul was the most sold out man of God that there ever was or ever will be. And Christian, shame on us when we're not kind and we don't show love to those who've been mean or evil to us. Shame on us when we're not kind and loving to those who've persecuted us and those who've spoken harsh things or, or have been unkind or done unkind things to us. Shame on us. If we're following Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Love those who persecute you. Shame on us us if we don't love those that aren't unkind to us. Those that do this and are mean to us and are evil to us, they're lost. We're found, okay? They think they may be found, but they're lost too. They really are lost because if, 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 if they don't love you and if they treat you as a child of God in a harsh or mean or evil way, then they can't be of God because God is love. That's what the scripture says. So we know they're not his, whatever they may think they are. We, whatever man is, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And, and they wouldn't speak evil of you or be mean or evil to you and persecute you if they were saved and they knew Jesus Christ. And, and so sadly, that means that they're headed to hell. And their condemnation will be just if they don't repent and if they don't turn to Jesus Christ. But love wins, Christians. Love wins wins. And we need to be loving with our actions and deeds and words and start being loving and kind to those that are evil or mean towards us and those that hate us because love wins. Really, love wins. 
I have a good brother in the Lord who uh, at one point in time here back, sometime back, uh, maybe within the last year, year and a half, he had this feral cat come onto his property. And we've talked about this many times, um, and I just love the picture that God showed me here. So he had this, this feral cat come onto his property. Now, if you know anything about feral cats, they won't have anything to do with people. They, they avoid people like the plague. That is, that's that their, their natural instincts have taken over. People are enemies. People can hurt them. Uh, people are, are like a predator or they'll attack people. They just don't like, like people. Yet, through my good brother in the Lord, through his love and his offering this, this, this cat food and, and being nice and gentle towards him and being loving and kind towards him and always offering, some, offering him something, offering her something. I should say it's a, it's a female. Unneutered, by the way, or unspayed, whatever you want to call it. He, he, this cat now lives in his home and loves him like he's uh, a cat that he had uh, since she was a kitten. And that is unheard of with feral cats. Feral cats will not generally stay away from, they would rather die in the wilderness than, than have any help from people because they've just, that's their natural instincts have kicked in. Yet, love won between my good brother and this cat. And you know what? People are the same way. Christians, if we'll really want to bring the lost to Christ, we can't just preach words to people. We can't just go, oh, Jesus said this, Jesus said this, Jesus said this. We must tell them of Jesus Christ, yes, but then we must love them in word and in deed the same way my good brother in the Lord loved this feral cat who hated him, and he won her heart with love. If we'll just love them, hopefully, just as my friend's cat did with him, the lost will realize that God and Jesus Christ are love, and they'll turn to Christ and turn to Christ alone for salvation and be one to Christ. Now, not taking anything away, what we just learned about Paul and how he loved uncompromisingly and how all Christ followers should love people with uncompromised love. I, I want to close with the main thrust and idea of the message. I told you that I would talk about it a little later. Here it is. Now remember, the main thrust idea of the message today was about how the Jews in Jerusalem, both the Antichrist Jews as well as the Jews who had turned to Jesus Christ as God's Messiah but were zealous for the law of Moses, how they had attacked Paul beating him to kill him because he taught that Jesus Christ enough was enough or is enough and of course this mess with their little G God. The teaching of Jesus Christ being enough for eternal life really gets under people's skin and really gets on their nerves. As this truth of the Bible goes against 95% of religious peoples in the world, their beliefs. 95% or greater of all religious people in this world believe that it's Jesus Christ plus works or works alone or works and the law of Moses and then, you know, just maybe God will accept us or, or whatever. But 95% or greater on that number believe that works get people to heaven, not Jesus Christ alone. Most people, believe it or not, even including those who profess to be of Jesus Christ, believe that works of righteousness or good works are necessary along with Jesus Christ in order to get to heaven and be saved from God's wrath. We read about a church last week. It was right on their website. Baptism is necessary to have forgiveness of your sins along with Jesus Christ. They were. It was a church of God and Jesus Christ or something. It was a Pentecostal church. Church, I don't forget, but that is a huge belief today. But my listener, please listen and understand today that there's no other way to be saved outside of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Please understand, my listener, you cannot attach any work to Jesus Christ and his perfect work of salvation on the cross for salvation or to please God, just like Abraham didn't please God by works of righteousness, but by believing and putting his faith in God. If you do and say that Jesus Christ and God are okay with this, that's not the Jesus Christ or the God of the Bible that the Jesus that, that Jesus can't save you. That Jesus that needs works along with his sacrifice, that Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus can't save you. That's a different Jesus than the one of the Bible. The Jesus Christ of the Bible said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say through me plus a bunch of works. This Jesus Christ, the one of the Bible, paid the complete cost of our sins with his death on the cross, and he doesn't need any help. I'm not sure where you are listening to me believe today, what you, what you believe, but I'm scared for the majority of people that live on this planet right now because, again, a large majority, even those who profess to be of Christ, believe that Jesus Christ is not enough and that they need to attach some kind of good work to Jesus Christ and His sacrifice in order to be saved. This idea is heresy, it's antichrist, it's not biblical at all, and it won't save you from hell. It won't save you because it goes against Jesus saying, I am the Christ. The Christ biblically was the one and only one to save you. The Christ biblically is not many, one Christ, one way God made for you to be saved. You and every single person on the planet, one way to please God, the Christ and his sacrifice with his death and sacrifice on the cross for your sins to pay the penalty. And if you believe that there's more than one Christ, or that Jesus Christ wasn't enough, listen to what John has to tell us in 1 John 2, 22 and 23. He says this, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Meaning, if you believe there's more ways to heaven than just Jesus of the Bible as the only way to salvation, then John called you a liar. Ouch. And he goes on to say, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Right? It's an Antichrist belief that Jesus Christ and the Father aren't one and they aren't Father and Son. He is Antichrist, number three. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So if Jesus is your Christ and he's, you believe he's your Christ, as long as you come through him like he says, you'll be all right. If you reject that Jesus is the Christ, so the only one to eternal life, and enough for eternal life, then John called you a liar or an antichrist. Ouch. And the Bible says that no liar and no antichrist will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's no salvation outside the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Remember John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you believe that salvation can come by good works alone for everyone and anyone, or by some religious system, or by good works plus Jesus Christ, if you're making that unnecessary, or if you're saying, oh, you got to keep the law of Moses and Jesus Christ, then you're in trouble. The Bible says you're an antichrist and you're a liar. And you need to repent. Repent today. Jesus Christ said he was enough and that all that came through him would be saved. He pretty much makes coming through him pretty easy of a step. It's an easy idea of a step. It's a little harder to do, but it's pretty easy of a step. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We're born as our own rulers. We're born as our own gods, basically. We're born, we rule our own universes, right? We're our own little G-gods. And Jesus said, if you want me, and you, you want to know me, and you want to be saved, then you got to deny that. you got to take yourself off the throne of your life. You have to turn away from you being your own boss, and let me be your boss. Me, the only one that paid the price for your sins to save you. Then he goes on to say that that one should take up their cross and then follow him, which would be the natural progressions once you take yourself off the throne and put Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart and surrender to him as Lord. Then naturally out of your heart will flow rivers of living water and you'll desire to take up your cross, which is a denial of sin from your flesh, and then you'll desire to follow Jesus Christ because then he'll be living in you and he'll make that possible for you to do that. A please today. If you believe Jesus is not the Christ, or you believe that good works are going to save people from hell and condemnation and hellfire, you're deceived, and Christ and the Bible say you got to repent now. You don't know if you're getting tomorrow. You don't know if your time 
to, to, to be, is your, your ticket's going to be punched right now? You don't know if it's going to be today or tomorrow. All I can tell you is God has a time every one of us is going to die. Will you actually enter into the kingdom of heaven or will you just look at God's face as he says, be gone, I'm sorry, my sacrifice wasn't enough for you and your, and your good works won't pay for your sins. See you later. Uh, actually, he'll never see you later. You'll go and you'll depart from his presence and you'll be apart from him for all eternity and he doesn't want that. So please, turn to God, turn to Jesus Christ today and surrender and believe as him who the scriptures say he is, the one and only Savior of the world. And turn to him and surrender your life to him, just as Jesus said to come through him. And put your heart and put your life in his hands and bow your life at the foot of the throne, at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the way Paul responded to these murderous Jews. Thank you so much, Lord God, that Jesus Christ is enough. God, you don't make salvation complicated. Lord, if we had to be saved by good works, Lord, then what good works would be good works enough? How many would it take, Lord? Would I know if I got to that limit? Or, or would I know if I was one short? And, and, and what if I was one short, Lord, and then, oh, my ticket was punched, and then I just didn't get enough good works in to make it to heaven, and I came up there and I was just one short. Uh, Lord, you made salvation simple. Salvation, faith, your grace, your, your free gift of Jesus Christ through our faith, our putting our total faith in the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And that salvation, not being of our works or of our good deeds, but just as our total surrender to Jesus Christ, coming to you by grace, your grace, through our faith. I thank you so much. I pray, dear God, for those listening to this message today, Lord God, that they would repent, that they would turn to Jesus Christ and that they would be saved. Lord God, and they would experience the new life that I've experienced and that millions of other people on earth have experienced, Lord God, a changing of our hearts and minds. Thank you so much, Lord God. Thank you so much. We love you and praise you and thank you, Lord God. Help all those that are not saved that are listening to me today. Help them to make that step and become born again today. In Jesus Christ's name we ask these things and pray. Amen.